Romans chapter 15 and verses 1 through 7. I want to speak to you this morning on this subject, the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal. Hear God's word. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we, we, all, uh, we all set goals, at least at some point in our lives. Uh, before I was uh, a pastor in ministry, I worked as a systems engineer. And uh, in, that, in that career, toward the end of that career, in the early 2000s, uh, all the buzz was around these smart goals that everybody was supposed to have, these goals that were specific and measurable and attainable and realistic and timely, and you had to, had to list them for yourself. You had to know uh, where you were going in order to get there. And what we find from this passage this morning is that God has a goal, too. He's got a plan, and he's going somewhere with it. He's communicating it here to us through the Apostle Paul. Paul has been leading up to this goal, in fact, throughout the entire letter to the Romans. He took 11 chapters to lay out the, the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel, in great detail. He said that this good news was the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, Jew and Greek. He said that our ability to stand in good position before God, our justification, is not based on what we do with our lives. It's based on faith alone in Jesus Christ alone and not based on any good works. He has explained that because everyone is in the same boat, it does not matter what your ethnic or religious or cultural background is. Everyone has sinned. Everyone has, has fallen short of the glory of God. No one does good. He said not even one person. Uh, therefore, Jesus Christ is and has to be the hope of glory. And when you consider these things, Paul says at the beginning of chapter 12, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual worship. And what we find in this letter, is that the goal that he's been taking them toward is worship. What we see in our text is that God's goal for us is worship. God's goal for everyone in here is worship. 
And this worship that's described is not what we typically think of when we hear the word worship, but it is, I think, the worship that's necessary as we continue to live in this world, the worship that is necessary as we deal with issues of, of race and justice and ethnicity and class and culture, a worship that allows us to reject the polarizing press of political parties and move towards one another, not past one another. And so I want to talk about this goal with these three W's, weakness, writings, and worship. Weakness, writings, and worship. The apostle is talking about worship here in chapter 15 as a way of life. And that first aspect of this worship I want to tone in on is, is the weakness. He says in the first two verses, but we who are strong have an obligation to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not to please ourselves. Let each of us, us please his neighbor for good to build up. Had we been reading chapter 14, we would have found out that the, the weak he's talking about here are those who are weak in faith. Their weakness is demonstrated by the fact that they eat only vegetables. They regard one day in the Jewish year better than another. They don't drink wine. Uh, they, they, the strong, on the other hand, understand their freedom in Jesus Christ. They understand that Jesus has declared all foods clean. Nothing is off limits. I can drink wine as long as I'm not making myself drunk. I'm no longer bound to, to recognize and celebrate the special days of the Jewish year. And Paul counts himself among the strong. He says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear the weaknesses of the weak. And notice that I did not say bear with the failings of the weak. The word with actually has to be supplied in our English translations. It is okay to do so, but if you think of bearing with somebody, the way we usually think about a phrase like that, you are missing the gravity of Paul's point. To bear the weaknesses, the failings of those who are not strong does not simply mean to tolerate somebody or to tolerate a group of people. He's not talking about tolerance. He's talking about this community of faith that is created by Jesus Christ. Not everyone is going to be in the same place when it comes to their faith. Those who are stronger in the faith are obligated not just to tolerate their sisters and brothers who are weaker. They are obligated to carry those who are weak and not simply to endure through the irritating things uh, uh, that those who are weaker may say or do. The strong are strong not to please and affirm themselves, but to help sustain and support those who are weak in order to build one another up. 
He'd already set them up for this. He already set them up for this implication of their lives as Christians back in chapter 5 and verses 6 through 8 when he says, he said to them, you see, at the right time when we were still powerless, when we were still weak, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man some might possibly dare to die, but God demonstrates his lone love for us in this while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When he was explaining the gospel to them, Paul said that Jesus Christ is the strong one who gave his life for the weak ones, us. Christ has already done the bearing of the weak and he didn't bear with our weaknesses. He carried our weaknesses in his body on the cross. You see, what the apostle is talking about is the cruciform, the the cross-formed aspect of Christian community. He's not making this stuff up off the top of his head. He knows that Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him take up his cross daily and follow me. And he knows that there are practical implications and applications of the cruciform life that Jesus calls us to. And let's be honest, right? When we hear, oh, let me just talk about me. When I hear a passage like this, and I, I consider the implications that it may have for my own life, I can almost, I can guarantee you that I'm not regularly thinking of myself in the position of the weak. I'm thinking of myself in the position of the strong. Right? We don't likely think when we hear this, I'm the one who's weak in faith and needs others to bear my weaknesses. Most of us don't do that. We, when, you go, when you go to the movies, right, and you go see, you know, X-Men, Avengers, Spider-Man, Black Panther, right, and you fantasize about yourself being a superhero, you fantasize about yourself being in the strong position, right? You, nobody fantasizes like, I want to be the person that that the Black Panther saves, right? That's not a part of our imagining. (laughs) Can I offer this up to you this morning? Would you consider the reality that no one of us is in the camp of the strong all the time? Paul's particular emphasis on what he's addressing with these Christians in Rome had to do with eating and drinking and holy days. But there are all kinds of areas in trying to follow Jesus where we may be strong or weak. You can be in either camp depending on the issue or circumstance. So let me just say this, right, as it relates to how we respond to these pressing issues of of race and justice and political polarization. in our our day, walk with humility. Because you might not be in the camp of the strong, you might be among the weak, and that consideration and reflection is actually what will help you, give you a mind to bear the weaknesses of others uh, or, or to be carried by the strength of others. I almost titled this sermon, Christian debt, (laughs) because of the way that verb obligation or owe is so foreign to our drive to be independent, to be my own man, to be your own woman. 
when it comes to the issues of social justice and politics and racism that are raging in our culture, are you convinced through the study of God's word that your position is correct? Well, if so, how are you engaging particularly other Christians who disagree with you? Is your language or your approach vitriolic? Uh, Is your approach designed to tear down or to build up? You are obligated as a Christian to bear the failings of those who are weaker in the faith in a way that builds up. It is your debt. He's spoken of this debt earlier in chapter 13, verses 8 to 10, when he says, let no debt remain outstanding. Let owe no one anything except the continuing debt to love one another. For he, he who loves has, his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet. And whatever commandment there may be are summed up in one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love knows, does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Love is the debt. And it works itself out. See, here's the reality. that This position that everyone is called to take is a position of servanthood. Let each please his neighbor for his good to build up. If you want to understand the Christian faith, you have to understand this reality that in Jesus Christ, the playing field is leveled. There are no super saints. There are no super Christians. Those who are more mature in the faith do not have some special status over those who are less mature in the faith. One group is not more Christian than the other group. That's why Paul could say in in chapter 14 and verse 15, for if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. My freedom as a Christian, is much more than the freedom to eat what I want and drink what I want. My freedom is the freedom to lay down my life for my brothers and sisters. My liberty as a Christian is the liberty to die to my own preferences, liberty to die to my disordered desire to please myself all the time. My freedom As a Christian, is the freedom to say, I want to see you grow in maturity in Christ. My heart's desire is to do everything I can to edify you, to build you up in the faith so that you come to maturity in Christ and we do it together. And this is something that we are to pursue, building each other up, edifying one another, pleasing one another. We're not left to figure out what this looks like where do we see this bearing with the failings of the weak modeled for us? Where, what's our example? Or better yet, who is our example? Our example is found in the writings, Paul says, in the scriptures, quoting from Psalm 69 and verse 9, for even Christ didn't please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insulted you have fallen on me for whatever, Paul says, was written beforehand, was written for our instruction, was written to teach us why. So that through the endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Where do you go for hope? 
Do you try to muscle through and manufacture a hope for, for the kind of obligation that Paul is talking about? Jesus didn't please himself. He said he came to do his father's will in the scriptures, those writings that were written beforehand for our instruction, we find words like these from the mouth of the prophet Isaiah. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, well acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken by God, smitten and afflicted. The prophet Isaiah says it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Jesus is our example, living not to please himself, but doing all to please the Father so he could bring you and I to the glory of God. That was written, the apostle says, for our instruction. This is written so that we might have hope. When we come to the Bible, we're not just coming to words on a page or on a screen, as it were. We're coming to the very word of the living God. The endurance and encouragement of that scripture is intended by God to give us hope in the here and now for our life together as his people. The hope is that God is the one who enables us to endure through the challenges of strong and weak living together in one body for the glory of God. Let me, let me try to free you up here. I don't leave you with a burden that's too heavy for us to bear. We can't do it. We cannot do it. This example of Jesus giving to us in the scriptures as one who was willingly afflicted and oppressed and crushed, not because he had done anything wrong or worthy of that affliction, this denying ourselves to please others, to the denying ourselves to, to, that you might build somebody else up, this laying aside of your preferences and your privileges for the benefit of others. We don't have the love. We don't have the endurance. We don't have the desire to do this all day, every day, all the time, nonstop. You might be inspired to a little bit of self-denying, right? But not all the time. I love what the apostle does. Right after saying our hope comes through the endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, he offers up a plea to God. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves so that, uh, as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth, that is, with one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is a God of endurance and encouragement. He is a God who gives generously endurance and encouragement. He's not only a God of endurance and encouragement. He's a God of hope. 
Paul will offer this plea to God in a different way down in verse 13 of this chapter. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. How does he help us to endure? It is, at the, it is as the Spirit of Christ works in our hearts by and through his word. The purpose behind the power is that we might have hope, but we might have hope for what? <laughs> that we might have hope for this life of worship together together with one voice glorifying the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why is it that we would be able to live in harmony with one another? Why is it that we would be able to look to please our neighbor? Why are we able to bear with each other's weaknesses and, and failings? Why are, are, are we to edify and build one another up? It is all so that we might glorify God. Worship is described here as having a united mind and voice. It is described here as a lifestyle of welcoming one another for the glory of God, just like we were welcomed by Jesus Christ into the glorious presence of God. Understand that the worship being described here is a supernatural thing. When you see sports teams, whatever the sport, they're committed to one another and to their goal, right? That's what you're going to see as you're watching college football this season. But that's not supernatural. That's something men and women can accomplish in their own strength and determination. But the reason why Paul talks about here, what he talks about here is supernatural, is that everything has to do with the goal. The goal is the glory of God. The goal is for the whole creation to be able to look at what's happening among those who follow Jesus and say, oh my goodness, how did that happen? How are those people together? With all of those differences, how are they together, staying together, loving God and one another? It's supernatural because it's supposed to cause people to look at the church and marvel and wonder what in the world is going on there. God's goal is his glory. You hear what he says in verse 7? Therefore, I know the NIV says accept, but that's not strong enough. It's welcome. It's welcome. Welcome one another. Just like Christ welcomed you for the glory of God. And here's the brass tacks. What does it look like for those who are not like us to feel welcomed among us? <laughs> what are we willing to give up? How are we willing to change so that those who might not be like the majority start feeling like they belong, start to feel like they're home. You can't assume your way into this goal. Understand this, please. Understand this. And when we come to the pages of the New Testament, the expectation is not that the church will be monolithic. The expectation is not that the church will reflect one people group, one social group, one cultural group, one political group, one academic group, one whatever group. 
No, the expectation is the church will be one as a reconciled community across all of the polarizing, dividing lines in the society, bearing witness to the reconciling power of God in Jesus Christ. Here in this passage, Paul is letting us know it's impossible for us to see this happen apart from God's power. That's why he says, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another as you follow Christ Jesus so that you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Spirit of Jesus Christ will empower you and I to move toward one another, to welcome one another. He delights to do that work, but rest assured, he'll change you in the process. He'll change you, and the change is good. It will make us even more of a beautiful body as we glorify him together with one voice. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the reconciler. Thank you that by the power of your spirit, you delight to bring us together across every dividing line into one people, one family of God over which you are the head. Would you bless us by this encouragement and endurance, enduring scripture to live it out in practical ways for your glory in this place? We ask it in your name. Amen. Cheers, let's...